0: 13 that is the gospel of John chapter 13 today in our message time when i was uh, a young boy in elementary school in the early 70s the two most dominant national football league teams were Pittsburgh and Dallas so at least where i grew up you were either you either sided with the steelers or the cowboys I remember many uh, playground arguments about which team was the best. I was a a Pittsburgh fan. Terry Bradshaw was the quarterback, throwing touchdowns to Lynn Swan. There was the feared steel curtain defense led by mean Joe Green, the Steeler dynasty of the 1970s. They won four Super Bowls in a six-year period, including beating the Cowboys two times. How about that? Those were the glory years of the Pittsburgh dynasty, and nothing united or identified Steeler fans more than the terrible towel. There it is, the terrible towel. It's become an iconic symbol for fans. I actually own a terrible towel. I looked for it, I can't find it. I haven't seen it for years, it might be lost somewhere. That's okay, I've got pictures to share with you. The Terrible Towels, they were passed down from generation to generation. They were purchased when a new Steeler fan is born. The Terrible Towel was the brainchild of a former Steeler radio announcer, Myron Cope, during the playoffs in 1975. And it helped provide just the extra magic touch as the Steelers went on to win Super Bowl X over the Dallas Cowboys. Well, since then, that terrible towel has become a staple in the home of all true Steeler fans and the players as well. And during the introductions at Three Rivers Stadium or now at Heinz Field, you'll often see the, the, uh, the players. They'll be wa- waving the towels, getting the crowd riled up into the game. And during the introductions... Um, The whole crowd will wave their yellow towels to the thrill of of everybody that's assembled. But it happens on the road too when the Steelers travel. It's not uncommon to see many of those yellow towels up in the stands. So much so that other teams now they have to hand out their own towels to compete with the terrible towel and the mystical power that it carries. I've heard that when babies are born, they are wrapped in the terrible towel in the hospital. How about that? Isn't that great? I've heard about couples waving the terrible towel in their wedding ceremony. The terrible towel has been taken to the highest mountains in the depths of the sea. It hangs in neighborhood restaurants. It's traveled around the world from the Great Wall of China to the Vatican to the South Pole and more. It's flown on military missions. It even went to space thanks to astronaut Colonel Mike Finke, a Pittsburgh native. He waved the terrible towel there from the International Space Station. One little towel, now an integral part of a billion-dollar sports franchise. That is the history of what's called the luckiest towel in sports. Well, all of that to say, today our message is entitled, The Mark of the Towel. We're going to be looking not, though, at a simple symbol of, of sports history, but at perhaps the most significant towel of world history the towel of our Lord Jesus Christ you see we worship a king whose mark is the towel the towel dramatizes his whole life mission and it dramatizes our calling and so it was time to celebrate Passover that is the most sacred of Jewish feasts Upwards of three million people might spend that week in Jerusalem. During this particular week, word has spread that Jesus of Nazareth is on his way to the feast. People are excited because the word has been out that he has recently raised a man from the dead, a man named Lazarus in the suburb of Bethany, not far from Jerusalem. That news has spread like wildfire. No wonder then that thousands, thousands lined the road as Jesus made his way into Jerusalem riding on the back of a donkey. Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Blessed is the king of our father, David. The crowds cried those phrases out. And it's important for us to remember what the crowds were affirming by those words and actions. Placing palm branches on the road before Jesus is reminiscent of welcoming a warrior king in the eve of his triumphant conquest of enemy foes. The shout, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, that's pulled right out of Psalm 118. And that psalm was written at a time when Israel was surrounded by warring nations. But God rescued his people and gave them mighty military victories. And the people cried out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord as their king, their conquering hero. The generals would come through the parades in the cities. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That was sung to the conquering heroes that liberated the people. And then the word, Hosanna! Hosanna, save us now! Save now! Today, it's kind of the equivalent, I suppose, of a British citizen who might shout out, God, save the Queen. You see, Jesus of Nazareth, as he enters into Jerusalem, he is the King. But he's not the kind of king that the crowds were expecting. He's not the kind of king that they desired. In fact, it's going to turn out that Jesus will be a disappointment to those Passover pilgrims. And even to his own disciples. But in doing so, he fulfilled their and our greatest need. This is made very clear a few days later. Jesus And his disciples, his closest friends, have gathered to observe the Passover meal. Now, since the streets of the roads in Palestine were made of just plain dirt, in the very dry weather, there there was inches deep in in dust as people walked through the street. Or if it had rained recently, they were walking through the mud. And the shoes of that day were very simple, just a, a flat sole held on by a few straps of leather. Every walk in the street soiled the feet. Just inside the doorway of most homes would sit a basin of water with a towel. And often it was the job of the household servant to greet visitors and to wash their feet. Well, on that evening, when Jesus gathered his disciples for a private meal, there was no household servant. And no one had thought to carry out this menial task of foot washing. You see, the disciples were thinking about the kingdom of God. The events of the triumphal entry had set their imaginations on fire with dreams of thrones and power and glory. Luke even tells us in his gospel that that very evening, around the Passover meal table, the disciples were engaged in an argument as to which of them would be the greatest in the kingdom that Jesus was inaugurating. But no one, no one bothered to assume the role of servant and carry out the courtesy of foot washing. From our text today, from the Gospel of John in chapter 13, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart from the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, the devil, having already put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus. Jesus, knowing that the Father had handed all things over to him, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God. He got up from the supper, laid down his outer garments aside, and he took a towel and he tied it around himself. And then he poured water into a basin and he began washing the disciples' feet and wiping them with the towel which he had tied around himself. And so he came to Peter, Simon Peter. And Peter said to him, Lord, You are washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing, you do not realize right now, but you will understand later. And Peter said to Jesus, Never shall you wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no place with me. Jesus is the king. He is the king of kings. And here he is washing the dirty feet of his disciples and drying them with a towel. Here is the king whose scepter, his symbol, his mark of authority and power is not a sword. It is a towel. This morning, at least four truths I see in this passage by Jesus' use of the towel, and so let's consider them together. The first is that the towel dramatizes the whole of the king's life and purpose. The towel is a mark of the king's career. You see, washing the disciples' feet is no isolated event. What Jesus did that night in the upper room vividly portrays the whole journey he made from the Father into the world and back to the Father. John says that Jesus rose from supper just as he had risen from his eternal throne. And then Jesus laid aside his garments just as he had laid aside his glory in heaven. Just as he had chosen to lay aside his privileges as the son of God. And Jesus then wrapped that towel around himself. Just as he wrapped himself in our humanity. And then Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. Performing the most menial act of service just as The very next day, he would die a degrading death, one of a common criminal. And when Jesus had finished washing their feet, John says that Jesus took up his garments and returned to his place of honor, just as a few days later, he would cry from the cross, it is finished. And then he would be taken up from the grave and seated again next to the Father in heaven. And so Jesus uses the towel to illustrate his whole life, his whole career, his whole purpose. A few decades later, the early church would sing a hymn together. Paul records it for us in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, I, I read... Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. I don't know the tune that went with that song, but those are powerful words, aren't they? In the room that night, the eternal Son of God, the King of all creation, stripped off his garments and got on his knees to wash the dirt from the feet of men who should have been serving him. But that act was nothing new because it symbolizes everything about his career and his purpose in this world. Well, that brings us then to the second truth that we might find by Jesus' use of the towel. And that is that the towel marks the king's own concept of royalty. Jesus had his own concept of royalty. From our human perspective, washing feet is certainly beneath the dignity of the king of kings. Peter is horrified by Jesus' actions. We read in verse 8, "'You will never wash my feet, Lord.'" The words have kind of the same tone as Peter's earlier protest at Caesarea Philippi, when Jesus declared, I must go to Jerusalem and die. And Peter exclaimed, God forbid it, Lord, this should never happen to you. And you know what Jesus answered, do you remember? He said, get behind me, Satan, for you do not have in mind the things of God. And so in that upper room, as Jesus is about to wash his feet, Peter still has in mind the things of men and not the things of God. You see, in the upper room, Peter wanted Jesus to fit into human ideas of royalty and divinity. You, the divine king, you should not be washing my feet. But in this foot washing scene, Jesus is destroying our concept of royalty. We live with the idea that to be God is to be exalted, to sit on a throne surrounded by willing servants. But by his use of the towel, Jesus is revealing the idea that God lives with. You see, for the living God, being God, means coming down from the throne and giving himself to serve. The fact is, Peter would have been perfectly comfortable washing Jesus' feet. That would be normal, wouldn't it, according to human ideas? But to see Jesus, the great I am, stoop before Peter and begin to reach for his dirty feet, that is not normal. Jesus is teaching Peter and us what such a posture and spirit are that they are normal for the true and living God. Listen to what what Jesus told his disciples before he came to Jerusalem. He made this statement, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. You see, in that one line, Jesus turns everything upside down. And the truth is, the eternal King of all kings serves us. And we will never, ever be able to outserve him. So, how do you react to all this? What are your thoughts? If you're like me, you might have some mixed reactions. On the one hand, I'm amazed, I'm touched by such a king. But on the other hand, like Peter, it's it's a bit disturbing, isn't it? It it would seem that if we hold to such a a view of God, the one who serves us, that that might create in us an an inappropriate pride or cause us to be self-centered. But if we really think things through, I think we might discover the opposite. A God on his knees before me humbles me. And strangely, strangely makes me more God-centered. You you see, if our only view of God is that of a supreme king at the summit of the chain of command, a king at the top of the ladder, it makes us much more self-centered. Because we'll always be wondering, how can I get to him? We might be worrying about how we're doing Am I making progress towards him? What can I do to, to earn my way up to him? And those are all the wrong questions to ask ourselves. You see, in the name of religion, we often become preoccupied with ourselves. But not so. Not so when God is kneeling before us in self-sacrificing love. We can't help but to be preoccupied by him. That kind of love knocks us off of our own throne, out of our self-centeredness, because he becomes the center. And so Jesus was helping Peter and the others understand that we can only meet the living God at the bottom rung of the ladder. For he is nowhere else. Jesus was revealing the king's own idea about what it means to be king. The king finds his royal dignity in being a foot washer. Well, that leads then to the third truth taught by Jesus' use of the towel that night. And that is that the towel points to the king's greatest on behalf of his subjects. Jesus' use of the towel that night points to the cross. The towel is a mark of the king's death. Jesus, John tells us that Jesus' hour had come. His hour had come. John also mentions Judas's betrayal of Jesus. I think he does that so that we will connect this foot washing event with the crucifixion. John uses two words to describe Jesus' action. Lay down or lay aside and take up. Those two words, those phrases are used earlier in John's gospel to refer to the impending death of Jesus. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one has taken it from me. I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. So all of this connects for John, the foot washing to the death of our Lord. And this helps us, I think, understand the interaction between Jesus and Peter. When Peter says, Lord, you you should never wash my feet. And then Jesus says, then you'll have no Part in me, Peter. It is, is as if he is saying to Peter, Peter, if you don't let me be who I am, if you don't let me stoop down and act on your behalf to cleanse you, then you'll have no fellowship with me. And you cannot enter the kingdom, Peter. Something needs to be done to you. And unless I do it, you have no part with me. And of course, we understand then that the something that Jesus must do is the cross. Only the ultimate act of service, only the ultimate stooping down can cleanse us from sin. Unless the Son of God lays down his life, we remain in the dirt of sin and shame. Now, Peter seems to understand this at least, at least a little bit. And the thought of missing out on this life with the master makes him then exclaim, if you must wash my feet, then not my feet only, but my hands and my head also. Give me it all, Lord. And so Jesus has to clarify the point. And he says to, to Peter, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. For his whole body is clean. What does Jesus mean by that? Well, before attending a banquet, people in the first century would take a bath at home. And then traveling through those dusty roads to the banquet location meant that the person's only need would be then to have their feet washed. Washing Peter's feet pointed to the only thing he needed. The cross of Christ. Peter, you don't need to be perfect. You only need me to wash your feet to lay down my life for you. My death for you is all you need to enter my kingdom. You see, by his death, we are cleansed, we are washed, we are made worthy to enter into the banquet of the king. And so the towel points to the fundamental act of the king on behalf of his subjects, his sacrificial death. Well, this leads us then to the final point, a fourth truth taught by Jesus' use of the towel. It's the truth that you were probably ready for when I first read the text. The towel now distinguishes those who have allowed the king to serve them. The towel is a mark of the king's subjects. Those of us who know and follow the servant king. After washing their feet, Jesus says to the disciples in verses 12 through 14, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. And so we need to remember what this act meant for Jesus. When he washed his disciples' feet, he was saying, I lay down my life for you. I will go to the cross for you. Listen again to how he puts it in verse 14. If I, your Lord, washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Now we might expect him to say, since I, your Lord, washed your feet, you should wash my feet. Now if Jesus had said that, the disciples would have been fighting one another to see who could get to his feet fast enough. We would be fighting one another for the privilege of being first with the towel and the basin. But instead, Jesus says, you should wash one another's feet. You see, Jesus laid aside his life for us all. And the debt that we owe him is to be paid by meeting our neighbor's needs with loving service. You see, I owe Jesus Christ for what he's done for me. And my neighbor now becomes the recipient that is authorized to receive what I owe to the master. My wife is the appointed agent to receive what I owe Jesus Christ the King. As I wash Jesus' feet, as I wash hers. Our children are the appointed agents authorized to receive what we owe the King. We wash Jesus' feet as we wash theirs. People in this church fellowship are the appointed agents authorized to receive what we owe the king. We wash Jesus' feet as we serve one another. Our co-workers, our fellow students, people in our neighborhood, people in need, these are all the appointed agents that are authorized to receive what we owe the king. We wash Jesus' feet. As we wash the feet of others. Now, such a way of relating to people, it's not normal. This way of of connecting to people, it changes the order of things. It might even throw our society out of whack. And that's precisely what the King of Kings intends. You see, this is the gospel of the kingdom. His new order turns everything upside down. He changes our whole concept of power and authority and status. You remember what Jesus said to the disciples when they were arguing amongst themselves about who would be greatest in the kingdom? He called them to himself and he said, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. I want you to notice that word over. They lord it over. And their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not so among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be number one shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And so the king, whose mark is a towel, is inaugurating a kingdom of footwashers this place this kingdom this fallen world that we live in it is distinguished by people that are clamoring for power climbing over one another to get to the top seeking to win at any cost to be first to be greatest but the kingdom of jesus it is distinguished by the self-sacrificing love of the king, by people who trip over one another trying to get under, to serve. You see, when you belong to King Jesus, you can no longer write on your resume, I don't do feet. Because that's precisely what we're called to do. Because that's what he does. That is the mark of the king's subjects. Dan Cathy is the president uh, and CEO of Chick-fil-A Corporation. Mr. Cathy was recently in Southern California checking on some new Chick-fil-A restaurants that the company was building. And he invited a friend, a local pastor, to tour some of the new locations with him. And here's the story the pastor later shared. He said, We were looking at a building site. And while we were there, we were hungry, and so we went next door to Taco Bell. We'd been out on construction sites, and our hands were all sweaty and dirty, and so we went into the restroom at Taco Bell and washed our hands. And then I watched Mr. Kathy take out extra paper towels. Now, this is the CEO of an international chain of restaurants, and I watched him pull the paper towels out, and I watched him hand clean the sinks and the mirrors of the Taco Bell bathroom that we were in. I looked at him and I said, thank you, Mr. Kathy, for doing that. And he said, we teach our staff to always leave any place they're at better than it was when they found it, even when it's not our own place. And nobody at Taco Bell or the Taco Bell corporate offices knew that the CEO of their competition just cleaned their bathroom for free. You see, folks, we worship and follow a king whose mark is the towel. Not a terrible towel, but a towel of humility, a towel of service, a towel of glory, and a towel of honor. The towel dramatizes the whole career of Jesus. It reveals the true nature of royalty. It points to his sacrificial death on behalf of any who would come to follow him. And the towel now marks those who have allowed him to serve them. And when I'm unable or unwilling to take up the towel, it means that it's time to let the king wash my feet again. It's time once again to stop and let the king love me with his self-sacrificing love. You see, because for the degree that we humble ourselves before him and allow him to serve us, to that degree we experience the real liberty of the kingdom of God. Let's pray together.